And friends just can't be found like a bridge over troubled water. I It took me a minute to recognize what that was. That's right. We're Riverdale Recap Podcast here to talk about Chapter 126, Betty and Veronica Double Digest. I did not recognize it for a hot moment. Written by Will Ewing and directed by Alex Sanjiv Pital. I forgot that's what this one was titled, and that makes sense now for the... The format? The the Betty and the Veronica, like, floating titles that happened. Yeah, yeah. In, in the, like, promo leading up to this episode, the little, like, one-minute bit with Roberto, he promised something that sounded like an anthology, and that's not really what it is. No. It's sort of split down the middle and flipping between them. Yeah, which is fine. Which is but... fine. It, it's a much more standard presentation. Yeah, it but... does. it's not a double digest where you're getting like a whole bunch of stories. The Betty story and the Veronica and story. And then a Betty story and then a Veronica story and then a Betty Veronica story and then like a <laughs> not them story. Yeah. 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 Uh, so, so this episode though opens not with either of them, but with Jughead. <laughs> Jughead. Who, it's a triple digest. Who is going through a lot of grief right now. Yeah, the first lines of the episode are, the first words of the episode are, grief is a terrible thing. And I thought he said grease. I'm like, damn, <laughs> go off. All right. Fuck you, Travolta. Oh, see, I immediately thought of like grease from like burgers. Like, oh my God, Jughead's like, like saying no more to burgers. Like he's giving up pops. He's just racist against the entire Balkan Peninsula. Uh, but no, grief, mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. he's mourning Brad Rayberry. Uh-huh. Did you almost say the other one? Yes. Okay. <laughs> and, uh, it's been, a, it's been a week, okay? I forgot. Uh, <laughs> uh, and he is doing what, you know, Jughead's gonna do, which is be at Pops, drinking yep. never-ending milkshakes, while reading through every book he's ever written. That is what you do. That's you fanboy so hard and so, have all the dairy. So he's going to pop up a couple times in this episode, buried under a mountain of, of pulp paperbacks, and really, really stretching what's allowed in a 24-hour diner. And being very sad. And it's very sad. <laughs> like, is, poor Jughead. Man, I wish he had a friend. <laughs> he had any friend. Wish he had any friends that were, like, locked up at the Sisters of Quiet Mercy. Never mind about Ethel. Pops is the closest thing, because Pops, like, you know what? I'm going to keep giving this kid milkshakes. Dilton has forsaken him. Where's Ben Button? Ben Button is working at the (laughs) drive-in. So, uh, Betty... But this whole sequence ends with a visual metaphor for the experience of grief. Oh, yes. Of the, the whole world slowing down. And so there's like sound design to communicate that with the, the echoing clock going slower and slower. And people around him just move in slow motion. Yes. And there is like the behind him is a whole bunch of people dancing to the jukebox. And then like to show that like difference of him mm-hmm, being mm-hmm. there and his grief. 
But then, like you were saying, big title card, impact bubble letters, Betty, just like you would expect from the title treatment of a Betty story. Yes. And so she is uh, having one of her sessions with Dr. Werther's. And he's like, so you're no longer going to be a vixen because your mother and I think it's too sexual an environment. That's what I was saying last week. You screwed up. Listen to me. And she's like, but uh, wouldn't high school just be too sexualized? Like, should I drop out of school to go along with this theme? You know, the teens are all horn up. We're all hormonal here, doctor. And Dr. Worthers is like, no, 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 no. And she's like, obviously, you've never been to gym class. Like, <laughs> my God. So so he is just like, uh, 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 okay, you're going down a sassy path. Let, let's uh, uh, start from the beginning. You're here because you were caught stripping, quote, for your next door neighbor's pleasurement. This, I think, is a very important line because he does not consider her pleasurement. No. There's there's no eye toward like female gratification no. in his his image of sexuality. He doesn't know that that's possible. <laughs> he's he's never managed it himself. No. Uh and you know then points out like you've showed your underwear and you have an unhealthy <laughs> obsession with sexual something or other. I don't remember exactly what he said, but uh you like sexual things. This mm-hmm, is bad. Mm-hmm. Um, so then he takes it to a whole new creep level <laughs> and is like, creep. I'm curious, what's your first sexual memory? And Let s- me click my pen and take some notes. <laughs> and so we doodly do flashback to uh, Lil Betty and Lil Archie. They are credited as such L-I apostrophe L yes. in the end credits. Very cute. Plane operation. Like, like the, board the board game. board game, not like doctor. No, no. <laughs> and so Tiny Betty looks at Tiny Archie as he like fails at the game and they are just awash in the red glow from the little nose lamp. And this is apparently her earliest sexual experience. She just looked her- at him thinking, wow, he's so cute. I wonder what kissing is. I hear people talk about it. I wish he would get in there with my organs. <laughs> I want want him to move around my funny bone. (laughs) I want Archie to split me open (laughs) with a scalpel to get the water on my knee. I want him to make me go... (laughs) (laughs) Ladies, get you a man who makes you go... (laughs) Um, And so Dr. Werther's takes a lot of fucking notes about this. (laughs) Even though she doesn't say any of that, she's just like, I don't remember. He's like, let me write this down. Because he's a fucking creep. This is the one question. Like, Betty is so forthright and and just uh, uh, confident in herself in all of these interviews we're going to have. But this is the one question she dodges. Yeah. But we, the viewers, get the the real answer. And it's brought to you by Milton Bradley? decides to keep pushing and he's like so tell me how often do you think about sex (laughs) and how often does betty cooper think about sex well it's a lot and we're gonna need a whole montage with the song lollipop you can't do that you already this is the murder song you can't make the murder song the horny song and this is gonna be the horny song because she is gonna murder you with her vagina Oh, I really like the movie Teeth. I know you don't, but I really enjoyed that movie. 
<laughs> I mean, I didn't like it, but I also find it really funny. <laughs> Anything that makes the vagina terrifying, I find funny. <laughs> Gnomes, teeth, whatever. Gnomes aren't terrifying. They can be. They have their own teeth. <laughs> People ask, people ask if they need to watch Riverdale to listen to Sex Archie, and the answer is no. But you need to watch Easy A to understand Sex Archie. It keeps happening. It's such a good fucking movie. It's so good. Why do they keep talking about Stanley Tucci in the bucket list? He wasn't in the bucket list. No, but he was in Easy A. He talks about the bucket list. (laughs) It's such a good movie. Uh, So, yeah. So as Lollipop plays, we don't get a montage of murder. What we get is a montage of Betty going from person to person and having like a dream sequence fantasy of making out with them. It it starts with her opening her her curtains in her bedroom and seeing Archie across the way and then seeing herself make out with Archie across the way, which is so fun. And then like walking into school and seeing Fangs by his car and then making out with Fangs mounting him on his car. And then walking down the hallway and seeing Jughead and making out with him right there. As as the camera cants into a Dutch angle while they embrace. And then being in the girls' locker room getting ready for gym and seeing Veronica button up her blouse and then shoving her into a locker. Yes. And then bumping into Reggie in the hallway. Yes. And slamming him into a steamy shower while they're naked. And then going into science class and seeing Dilton. And she doesn't make out with Dilton. Instead, instead she watches Dilton's science class volcano bubble and reaches a moment of sexual ecstasy watching a volcano. Yes. Episode two. She loves science. Season seven, episode two. Betty Cooper insists, quote, I am not a sex maniac. Episode nine. I fantasize about science volcanoes. (laughs) Something has changed. She went on a journey. It's erupting. All over the place. She, she's like, oh, like, a, n- a normal amount? <laughs> average? An average, just the normal amount. Just, you know, normal. Uh, and, she, you know, he's like, what, what would you say is an average amount? And she's like, well, Dr. Kingsley states that teenagers think about sex every seven seconds. And he's like, no, those are for boys. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You're a girl. And she's like, okay, fine. I think about it all the fucking time. <laughs> Constantly, all the time. And so he's like, "Oh, let me make notes." No, 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 no. Fucking creeper. And like, yeah, uh, Betty refuses to be intimidated by his line of questioning, and isn't like shying away. If, if it doesn't have to do with the operation game, she's as open as anyone could possibly be. Yeah. Uh, so he's like, "Well, why, why do you think about it like all the time?" And she's like, "Because I'm curious about how it feels, mm-hmm. and you know." sex is for like pleasure and like you know what's it feel like and he's like it's not for pleasure it's for making babies by merry people so then betty's like i don't buy that my dad has nudie mags in his sock drawer and so then we go to her opening his sock drawer because he was like she was like grabbing something for him for church it's like a two year ago flashback and she sees prance (laughs) yes the magazines. And and it's like very like 
I guess Betty Page or yeah. I don't know World War Two uh, uh, style pinups of girls in repose. Yeah. 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 But no it, actual nudity. It's it's fine. Hal is planning to start a family with all of the magazine girls. Yeah. This is totally above board. And so Dr. Swerthers is like, your father's not in therapy. We're not talking about this. And she's <laughs> like, well, maybe he should be. Like, but, and, and yeah, she's been making the point that she's like, I don't I don't know if I want to get married. I mean, maybe someday, but that's not that's not my goal in life. I'm going to have sex, married or not, though. That's, that's where I, I'm headed. And he's like, mm, gonna write stuff down. I wanna have like a career. I wanna have an impact on the world. And, and maybe someday I'll, I'll change my mind, but I'm definitely not like aiming toward being a wife. And like, mm, no, 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 no. Good thinking, Betty Cooper. <laughs> so uh, Betty is back home in her room. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, Alice comes in and she's like, oh, I got you something at the store. Here are these magazines about marriage just, and bridal clothing. Just a whole stack, yeah, of, of bridal mags slapped down on the bed. Like, hey, Betty. Hey, Betty, what did you talk about earlier today? Hey, Betty, you want to get suspicious before you figure it out way too late, Betty? Yeah, I don't know why she. it took her so fucking long <laughs> to figure it out. Like, I was immediately like, oh. But, like, Betty doesn't figure it out. Uh, so yeah, Alice tries to say like, oh, I just, I saw them at the checkout and I just thought they were so beautiful. You're gonna beautiful. be such a beautiful bride. I'm looking forward to that day. Oh my goodness. Oh, I'll be so proud of you. I'm sorry, like how is mar- like, getting marrying someone like something that makes someone proud? Like, I don't get that. I don't get that concept of like, oh, I'm so proud of you. You decided to marry someone. Like, well, that's be- oh, I'm so proud of you. You've decided to be happy. That's because you married me. If you marry someone way better, you would understand. I love you, and I'm very <laughs> happy I married you. But I, I don't, I never think of marriage as something to be, something to be proud of someone uh, it, for doing. A, More like I'm happy for yeah. you. For someone whose outlook on life is that this is uh, uh, an expected part of your your pathway through the world. It is it is a major achievement on that route. Like I'm proud of you for finding someone to marry. Proud of you for raising uh, uh, children. Proud of you for owning a home. I'm proud blah, of you blah, blah, for blah. going through the stress of planning a <laughs> wedding and like still going through with it. I guess. <laughs> I hope uh, uh, your family was proud of you for planning our wedding. And no, they didn't like it. Doing it all DIY as much as we did and mm. making a really wonderful event from almost entirely our own two hands. Uh, I think they thought I could have done it better and, knowing them. And in the final days, arranging uh, all of our, our uh, party members into the like final <laughs> construction. But yeah. yeah. I, mean, I liked our wedding. I I'm proud our wedding. of our wedding. Yeah. I would be weirded out, though, if someone else was proud of me for getting married. Because <laughs> that sounds like, man, I had to overcome something to, to do this. And I don't think marriage should be that hard. I bet people are really proud of me for, for landing you. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. They really didn't think I had it in me. <laughs> uh, but that's the, the title card. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so when we come back... It's Veronica's turn in her bubble impact, very similar yet distinct font, as you would find in the pages of a Betty and Veronica Double Digest. 
Uh, and she is at school uh, giving away free tickets to the Babylonium for a double feature of James Dean. A, a special in memoriam double feature of, uh, uh, what is it? It's Rebel Without a Cause and, and East, East of, of Eden. Eden. The first time East of Eden has come to these parts. Uh, and so Cheryl is like, what is this as president of the James Dean fan club? That's not the group's name. No, what were they called? The the Denizens. The Denizens, yes. Yes. That's bad. It's very bad. And so she's very like, oh, hold up. I didn't know what's going on. And, you know, Veronica fills her in and she's like, well, we're going to go see it at the, was it the Emporium? The Orpheum. The Orpheum. In Greendale, which has a much bigger screen. So much bigger. <laughs> They got the reclining chairs. They got they got the whole uh, uh, Dolby Those? Atmos thing going on. Okay, so reclining chairs. Yes. Yes. Dolby. I don't know. Actually, you didn't like the floor shaking constantly. I didn't like feeling vibrations in my spine. <laughs> it kind of tickled my butt. <laughs> Fast X, very bassy movie. No surprise so bassy. there. I eventually got used to it, but I was more concerned about losing my hearing at the beginning of that movie <laughs> than any of the concerts I've gone to yeah. ever. Yeah, the, the like... Uh, it The, like, the sound, sound test. around you type thing they do. Like, my ears oh. fucking hurt. That was so ridiculously loud. <laughs> Can we take it down a notch? They should combine that with Nicole Kidman. She should just be screaming at you from every point of the, like, 11.1 surround sound. I'm just glad they didn't do the, like, sound test one that our old theater did with, like, the bouncing ball. Yeah. And, like, the whispery voice. Because that whispery voice would have, like, I don't know, like, vibrated my leg. <laughs> like, all around you. That, they have weird recliners, though. Those are strange They ones. do. They do. They worked, but they were, it was weird. It was a little too many buttons. <laughs> I just want up and down, not like up, up, down, down, up. Left, right, right left, right, BA like, star, yeah. Yeah, like I shouldn't have to know a cheat code. <laughs> I shouldn't have to tap it to wake it up either. Like that was a little strange. Also, there were not enough cup holders. What was with the cup holder situation? <laughs> Take that, AMC. We owed you. The, the cup holders, there was not one between our seats. They were on the outsides, so, like, I had to reach across you for the beverage. <laughs> why Why is there not a cup holder on every side? And how come the pretzel is bigger than our dog? <laughs> she did try to warn us. <laughs> we just didn't know how big she actually meant. I knew it was large. I didn't think it was family of six large. <laughs> Oh, fucking bit. It was like the size of a pizza. <laughs> it came in a pizza box. It, it, pizza box. it was good. That's the sort of pretzel they have on the menu in a German restaurant for people to not order. <laughs> that they like hang from like a thing. It wouldn't with, fall like, off. Five, it wouldn't be able to hold itself with, up like, on the five hook. mustards and whatnot. <laughs> it was fucking huge. Anyway, Cheryl's real snooty. She's real snooty about this not measuring up to, to her uh, James Dean fanaticism. Um, but Veronica's like, hey, I'll give you free tickets. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, free tickets for you and the Vixens and everybody else you can invite. And she's like, okay, fine. I'll even get the, the Bulldogs for you. 
And Veronica's like, oh, no, no, I, I will present this deal to them myself. And as she walks away, her employees, Clay and Kevin, are like, yeah, we know why you're going to the Bulldogs yourself. We know, we know. Also, why are we just giving away free tickets? And she's like, well, let me let you on the business secret. We make all our money from snacks. That's true. That's why true. I got the giant pretzel. The The studio is getting my, my John Wick money. The the theater is getting the pretzel money. Yeah. Yeah. That's why we got some Sour Patch Kids for yes. fest. Those Sour Patch Kids hit differently. Like, those were good. <laughs> those were so much better than the little fun packs I have right now left over from an event. Because, like, those, like, tear up my fucking mouth. Yeah. But that bag you bought? We, I, I ate half of it. Totally fine. They may be sour, but they're gentle. They'll take care of you. I guess the ones I got are, like, the villain kids the or something. The violent patch kids. Violent patch kids. Oh, man, they should make those and they should have, like, little knives. And cayenne pepper. Never mind. <laughs> you want to talk about anything but Riverdale today? <laughs> Veronica goes and takes care of uh, the Bulldogs she by tries. putting tickets in all of their lockers as they come in shirtless and sweaty from practice. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh yeah, they're like, what are you doing here? And she tells him, like, hey, I'm giving you free tickets. And uh, Fangs does the weirdest swagger. I don't know what the fuck he was doing. That got, dude's having a great time filming his little scenes. He misses Sweet Pea, I think. I miss Sweet Pea! I miss the two of them doing stupid shit together. He needs somebody to do this bizarre background stuff with to, to yes. really sell it. Seriously. The only reason Fangs Fogarty is a character is doing those bits with Sweet Pea. Yes. It was so fucking good. Uh, but Veronica definitely hits on Reggie. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. She's- and he finally, finally agrees to go on a date because he was softened up so much over the course of the last episode. Archie punched a dude, and now he can say, all right, I'll go out with you after the movie at the place you own. <laughs> that, that agreement happens a little later. But right, yeah, cause, right. Because it's time for the Babylonium. And uh, when Veronica is selling popcorn to Reggie. Right, right. That's when he agrees, yeah, I'll stay after the show. We, we can go get a milkshake, whatever. Because she's all like, well, what if instead of you paying me for this popcorn, you just save your 25 cents and take me for a milkshake? And he's like, how about I pay the popcorn and I take you for a milkshake? Oh. oh. Mr. Moneybag's over here. Mm. Got quarters coming out of his ears, this guy. Uh, and so, uh, she is interrupted, however, by, uh, Kevin, who yells down that there is a situation. There's a projector room emergency, and as she goes up, she sees that the emergency is overexposed film. Every single reel is overexposed and therefore unprojectable. Yep. They, they have the canisters, but they do not, in practical terms, have East of Eden. So she has to go out there and tell everyone, like... Hey, we got some technical difficulties. And there's a full house. 40 people or so. (laughs) This is a small auditorium, but every seat is filled. I appreciate how this old theater, though, already has, like, good sight lines going with a very, like, you know. It's steep in there. It's It's really steep. It's very steep seating. So, like, no one's going to have their view blocked. Mm -hmm, It's mm -hmm. very nice. Uh, so she's like, hey, we're going to reschedule. And everyone's like, fuck that. We, we, we demand a refund for this free showing. And she's like, I'll give you free passes for a few future show. And they're like, no, we bought snacks. We want refunds. 
And she's like, okay, I'll give you snack vouchers. They say, fuck your vouchers. And they all start to throw a riot. They're throwing shoes at her head. Cheryl yells, it's like Jimmy Dean died all over again. <laughs> she gets hit in the face with a popcorn bucket. So Veronica gives in to the refunds. Mm-hmm. Uh, she also cancels her date with Reggie because of everything. Yeah, uh, he's like, had- yeah, you're, you look a little busy with business but he agrees to a rain check he's still interested he's still on the hook yeah this is still a win yeah uh so veronica's on the phone uh trying to uh well she's talking to the person mr roth she's talking to mr roth who is in charge of distribution at warner brothers yes mr roth is played by mr peter roth who was once in charge of distribution at warner brothers yes yes (laughs) that's amazing he, I, I think he has retired now from his last uh, uh, job along his entertainment executive career, which is uh, a chairman and, C, uh, and CEO of Warner Brothers Television. This is the man in charge of Riverdale, the TV program. Oh my god. In his time at Fox, he greenlit The X-Files ah! and King of the Hill. Ah, I love this he, man. He's involved in Fringe. He's involved <gasps> in so, so many things. Two broke girls for something we don't watch. But, like, this this dude, like, as in his position with Warner Brothers Television, kicked off Arrow and the whole Arrowverse. Ah, which is, like, now which just is now ending. Which is finally the, over. With the ninth season of The Flash. <laughs> and here he is playing a character with his own name that has his former job. Yeah. There you go. That's crazy. That's really fun. I like that. See, this is why you need to have shows like this to look up the shit. Because <laughs> you thought you were just watching some random dude. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. uh uh uh. Um, yeah. So she she's tearing into him about how you know the film was uh, messed up. She's demanding recompense, compensation, and he will have none of it. Yeah, he's like, that's not my problem. You're the owner of the theater. It's your problem. Yeah, you assume the risk. Maybe uh, do better at owning movies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And he's like, well, and there's no other ones, like, left. They're all out. And and so Veronica is left scrambling to fill her schedule, and so she calls the distribution office of every single Hollywood studio with, like, Kevin and Clay dialing the phones and handing them off. Uh, also, I, we should mention that Peter Roth's phone has a solid gold ha- uh, receiver. Yes. <laughs> of course it does. Yeah, so she's trying to get in touch, trying to find other films to show, uh, and all of them are, are turning her down, either because, like, we don't deal with Riverdale, or it's too small, or we don't have any, or whatever. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Ev- everyone has an excuse, and the final excuse mentions something about her family in an oblique way. Yeah, about, mm. uh, uh, about uh, how, like, they don't do business with underage whatever and you <laughs> yeah. know if i'm trying to get into business with your parents i'm not going to be in business with you uh and that's what closes off this montage of of a flurry of phone calls and like crossing off names from a big list of of like broadsheets and she's like man i don't know what i'm gonna do i've been blacklisted by all the major studios and clay's like why don't you try the small studios how surprised are we that veronica is in a business war against her father not surprised at all. <laughs> 
As soon as that film was ruined, I was like, oh man, that was Papa Hiram. She says the same in this scene. He's like, oh, that, that last phone call confirmed it, but I knew, I knew from the moment we opened those cans. I was like, I also knew. <laughs> I've been waiting for this. So yeah, Clay's like, hey, you know, they're, they're non-Hollywood studios making money. Uh, maybe you could call up these little tiny houses. I'm glad it went to this because I re- I thought when this started it was going to be like, you know what? We could make our own movies yeah. and show them. Oh, God. <laughs> That's what I thought was going to fucking happen. Like, oh, we could do small studios. We could be our own small studio. And Jughead becomes the screenwriter. He's the screenwriter. Clay's the director. Clay, yeah, he wants to be a director. Uh-huh. Just do it. Just do it. I, I thought this was what was going to happen. But, like, it makes more sense. Let's start with the people who are actually making movies. If this was in the present, if this was in the time of, like, digital cameras, digital projection, Clay would be making the movies. Yes. But we still have cameras that cost thousands of dollars and weigh, you know, 200 pounds, so. Yeah. Which I I could totally see this is eventually where we do go, though, is, Mm -hmm, like, mm -hmm. he makes a film and she, like, shows it or something. But... But, but instead, we're, we're shopping around to True Independence and Art House uh, uh, Studios because Silver Shield was such a big Hollywood powerhouse back in the day. They already went pretty far down the list. Uh, so Betty is meeting with Dr. Werther's again, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and he is asking her if uh, she remembers her dreams. And she's like, well, sometimes. And he's like, are your dreams sexual? And then he asks, what is your most vivid or frequent sexual dream? Man talks like a questionnaire. Like, what the fuck? Do you strongly disagree? Somewhat disagree? Are you neutral? Do you have sexual dreams? Check the box. Yes or yes. <laughs> so so her most vivid and or frequent sexual dream is she is a teacher in biology class making out with her students and who's the most common student? Hey, welcome back to, to season one vibes, but the bad way, Archie is getting manipulated by one of his school teachers. I'm not going to lie. I was a little upset that they didn't give her a Miss Grundy outfit. Oh, she doesn't have the Lolita glasses? Uh-huh. I'm a little, I, I like, man, they could have like really played into that. Well, that movie isn't out yet. They wouldn't talk about a movie that isn't out yet. They're so specific with their history. <laughs> Um, but she does go through a little montage of everyone, and she, like, fucking, like, whips fangs. Yes! But it's Archie. Archie is uh, the number one subject of this dream. And she goes from kissing him to, like, straddling him on the desk. Uh, and she's like, and that's the part of the dream where I always realize that everyone is watching. Mm-hmm. And she looks out at the students and immediately goes back to banging him. While they all stare, and boy, boy is Reggie staring. Ho, 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 boy. And he's like, do you ever share these dreams with others? Today, all of a sudden, you creep ass. Uh, and she says, no, of course not. She uh, occasionally records them in her diary, but that that's personal. He's like, oh, let me make notes. Notes, 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 notes. And so they get into what the meaning of this dream is. This is a, a psychoanalysis, after all. Werther's asks why why she wants to be seen as a sexual object, why she wants to be an object of desire. He's like, I, 
And so she replies, I don't think it's really sexual at all at the root. She talks about sex as self-determination and and understanding and empowerment. And autonomy. Yeah. And that she wants to be seen as a person And, and just seen. And this entire shot or verse shot is not your three-quarter view over the shoulder that you're used to. This is tight close-up, head-on, right down the barrel on both of their parts. Mm-hmm. This is, it's claustrophobic. It's really intimate and, and aggressive framing, honestly. Yeah. yeah. And Dr. Ruthers does not understand this at all. No. 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 Autonomy. Aut- <laughs> Self-determination. Ugh. But... But girl, though, you you girl, you you skirt wearing, hmm? you don't have autonomy. <laughs> uh, so over at Pops, uh, Veronica's waiting for her order, and, and this this is the first time where I was really kind of upset at the structure of this episode. Yeah, upset isn't really the the thing, but this is the first time we switch perspective without a commercial break. Oh, yeah. I really thought that that is how we were going to... Uh, but but no, we're just, from here on out, just swapping when swaps have to happen. Yeah, we're just doing whatever. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but she spots Jughead at the booth, and she, she goes over, and we see that he has piles of books mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. Um, you know, his empty milkshake. And she's like, hey, I'm not going to question why you have, like, 50 books here and <laughs> that you look like you have not left in days. Uh, but I'm going to ask you if you have ever heard of the Crawling Eye movie. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and he's like, oh, yeah, it came out a few years ago. Uh, I loved it. Why are you asking? <laughs> this is kind of weird. And so apparently it's the only movie she can get her hands on. Right, yeah. <laughs> uh, and she's like, but I'm trying to, f-, you know, she's trying to figure out how to sell it to people. And she's like... Like, oh, well, why don't you do what uh, William Castle did? And and he explains how he turned it into, you know, a 4D experience where they had buzzers under the seats uh, for the tingler. Yes. So people felt tingled by electricity. Gave people shock and they loved it. Yeah. Uh, William Castle, real guy. Basically everything Jughead says is true. He, he was, uh, his whole thing was coming up with like theater gimmicks to, to get people into watching movies that weren't put together so great. Uh, he, he was a B-movie king and, and just a, a, a schlock slinger who made theater going a fun experience. A fun, kitschy experience. And she thinks this is a brilliant idea. He also produced Rosemary's Baby. So, like, he made some good stuff at the same time. Okay. <laughs> uh, so we can thank him for, uh, like... The Bugs Life thing at yes, Animal Kingdom. Yes, yes. It's, it's tough to be William Castle's bug. I don't like William Castle. <laughs> Fuck you, William Castle. That was, that was a terrible experience. I do not want it to feel like there are bugs crawling on me. But we, we do have to uh, point out that Veronica Lodge has gone from trying to sell the majesty of cinema <laughs> as the great American art, the 20th century's own artistic revolution uh-huh. to just electrocuting people for giggles in a week. It took one week. Gotta make that money, baby. <laughs> uh, so meanwhile, Betty goes home. She's joined oh. the cult of ass electrocution in order to make money. <laughs> she talked about that with Dr. Weathers. <laughs> I'm sure he'll take a lot of notes 
yeah, so Betty goes home. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. And Alice is there with <laughs> a guest. And it is Reverend Lowe. The local parish priest has come to visit for a house call confession. And pro- possibly an exorcism. Alice says this half jokingly, and it's the other half that worries me. He's going to hear your confession and perform your exorcism, if needed. (laughs) (laughs) Giggle, giggle, kidding on the square here a little bit. And Betty looks over and sees a pile of her diaries. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, And she's like, what the fuck? You broke into my room and stole my diaries? And Alice is like, they were prescribed to me. And now is when Betty pieces it together. She and Dr. Werther's have been colluding. Alice has been seeing these notes that Betty is so curious about him taking. Yes. She's like, well, if you're so curious about what we're saying, maybe you should be in therapy with them. And she's like, I'm an adult woman. I don't need therapy. (laughs) The most Alice Cooper thing she's ever said. (laughs) The most, like, mom thing, I feel like. Look, Madge and Amick played two moms in roles in the year 2017 on television. Yeah. One of them cared about her daughter. It's not Alice Cooper. It's not Alice Cooper. So Betty storms out of the house, and then she gets an idea. She gets the idea to steal the notes. Turnabout is fair play, baby. So she goes into school after dark, breaks into the office, and it is the return of the bobby pin. Bobby pin! She even says, quote, this always works in Tracy True books. So she pops open that lock and she sees a whole bunch of confiscated comics and a and knife. A, and an old timey Dennis the Menace as a, a slingshot. And as she's looking through it, she also finds a novel. And mm-hmm. what is this novel? It's Lolita. It's a very, very slim cop. That writing must be tiny. It must be fucking tiny. Like, this is about the thickness of, like, like Jughead's pulps are thicker than this book. This is the thickness of a Archie Digest. This this is the thickness of, like, a play. Like Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so over at Pops, uh, Jughead is still there. Uh, and Betty comes in and she's like, wow, you got a lot of books here. And I'm like, thank God someone noticed something's up. <laughs> yeah. But that's about as far as it goes. Because she's like... Well, actually, no, because she's like, Pop has said you've been here for two days. <laughs> and he shares that, you know, he he's spending some time with a friend before he says goodbye. Jughead is holding this booth for days on end. He better tip at least a dollar at the end of this. Seriously. Like, how many milkshakes <laughs> has he had? How, how big is his bill? I hope that comic book place pays well. Like, oh, my God. Uh, so she's like, well, have you heard about Lolita? And he's like, and he acts like it's it's illegal, not just not allowed in school, but like the sheriff is going to come looking for them in hushed tones. I mean, it seems like something that would have been illegal then mm-hmm, mm-hmm. or now in certain places. Well, yeah. Uh, so so he, he uh, explains in vague terms this the this love affair between a professor and a 12-year-old, and Betty says, so it's a book for perverts? No, Betty, it's a book about perverts. Be better. Think. Think about life. Betty does not understand that depiction is not endorsement. He's like, have you read it? And she's like, nope, but I'm gonna go do that. And he's like, okay, Pops, another milkshake. Let's go. You just heard what it's about. We're disgusted and are like, sounds like it's for me anyway. 
So Betty takes it home and she reads it under her sheets with a flashlight. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm sorry, Betty. If you're going to read at night things that you... If you're going to stay up at night mm-hmm. and you don't think you're supposed to, the better thing to do is to lay down like normal on your side <laughs> with your flashlights. All you have to do is turn your flashlight off and pretend to be asleep. Not like, oh my gosh, let me throw myself out of the covers. What were you doing at night that you've worked out this system? I used to stay up and read really late, and I was always told to go to bed, but instead I'd stay up till like five in the morning reading. So Reading like Dear America books. I think that's when I probably read Lolita too, but okay. like... <laughs> Also, like, shit, like, I did this from, like, the time I was, like, 12 through, like, being a teenager. <laughs> I would just read until the sun came up. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I did not sleep. It's amazing that I was, like, functioning. So, so yeah, you mentioned while we were watching the episode, you read Lolita at about 16, 17. At, yeah, like, yeah. Uh, uh, the fictional age yeah. of Betty Cooper in this scene. Uh-huh. What was your response to uh, Vladimir Nabokov's most famous work? It's like that was weird. Because <laughs> I didn't I didn't know but I didn't know what it was. Okay. Like I got it from a library mm-hmm. with like a stack of like five other books. Around, I don't know, twenty pages in, you figure I out. I figured what it you... out, but I was like, oh, what the <laughs> fuck did I pick up? Um, and then I was like, wow, that guy's really weird. <laughs> and that's about all I remember. When I read it, it was, uh, it was part of it was a, a college class. It was an English class, and I think twenty-century American literature. Mm-hmm. So I, I just read it for funsies. I had a very different context, you know, discussion groups and whatnot. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I checked it out with like I don't know. It was probably like the the uh, what was it? Oh, there was this like pirate series I liked. <laughs> what was it called? It had like a girl though, uh-huh. and there was like. There are like 17 books now. I think I only read the first like eight. But if any I, podcast. Bloody Jack. Bloody, Bloody Jack. Jack. I gotta look this up. I think that's what it was up. called. It was Bloody Jack. I gotta look this up. Um, like I just. I, the Bloody Jack series by L.A. Meyer? Yes. Hell yeah. That's a 12 book series, 12 baby. 12 book. Okay. I was over exaggerating. But there were a lot. And I only, I only read like half of them. Because they were still like coming out, I think. But no, I, remember, I might have even read it around the time I met you. The first Bloody Jack came out in 2002. Okay. Around so the time you met me, you were 17 when you yeah. met me. So that makes perfect sense. Well, I was 16, then 17, yeah. But yeah. You were barely. So it was perfect time. <laughs> you were 17 the second time you met yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so like, that was around the time where I would just go to the library, and I would like, get like, a huge stack of books, and I would just stay up and read instead of sleeping because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I was an angsty teenager. Uh, like, and I remember my mom was really weird about shit when she was like, what do you mean you're staying up? You should be asleep. And I'd be like, okay, I'll go to sleep. And then I'm like, I wouldn't go to sleep. I just read. The final Bloody Jack book came out in 2014. So I guess they were annual. That's 12 books in 12 yeah. years. Yeah, I knew I didn't finish them. There you go. Yeah. Do you want to get back to Bloody Jack? I've actually thought about it. <laughs> they were good. They were pretty good. Look, something is coming, you know, in, in like 14 episodes time or whatever. Maybe we become a Bloody Jack show. <laughs> but yeah, so I read it, I read Lolita in a much different context for you. It was, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. let me pick up this book and go read it. 
I mean, a similar... I don't think a lot of people do th- it that way. <laughs> it's a very famous book. It casts a long, long shadow. Yeah, I think most people, though, are like, I must read this for a class or, or something, or and not like... like... Beca- because of the reputation yeah. as one of the great novels of mid-century America. And not just stumbling apart and just, I'm just going to read this. Ah, I heard of that. Ah. What have I heard about it? I don't remember. <laughs> oh. I probably hadn't heard anything about it, actually, knowing... <laughs> Uh, my family and life. But it's true, though. You always see this shit in the movies, though, where, like, kids are, like, trying to be sneaky, but they're in, like, the worst position possible. If you're trying to be sneaky, you're going to be ready in case Mm -hmm, someone mm -hmm. comes in so that way you can pretend you're not doing anything. Kind of like how I was dying when, like, Archie was in her room and they were, like, reading that, uh, the Kinsley book. Yeah. And, like, they're just doing, like, reading it. Right there on the bed, like <laughs> they're just doing it right the there door. on the bed. Like someone keeps keep a watch. Like I don't know, <laughs> <laughs> this is a thing you're not supposed to have. Stanley Kubrick book club would be a fun idea for a book club. Yeah, you just read books that have been adapted by Stanley Kubrick into films. Oh. You read The Shining. You read 2001: A Space Odyssey. Um, I would like this. Clockwork Orange. This would be great. That's that's I, a pretty good book club, actually. Clockwork Clockwork Orange is one I also started, and I don't think I ever finished it. Because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I was, like, very confused. The, the made-up language? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's one I also got up from the library, and I was like, what? <laughs> what is going on in this? Anyhow, it is, it is school time again. It is school time again, and in biology class, Betty is not uh, uh, the hot teacher. No. Uh, it's Veronica's turn to show trailers for The Crawling Eye. Yes. Uh, yeah, so she she's showing it, and they're like, so this came out a few years ago. Like, what's the point of this? And she's like, oh, no, no, no. We are re-releasing it in 4D. And Dilton's like, the fourth dimension, that's time. And she's like, shut the fuck up. <laughs> shut up, Dilton. <laughs> I, I love the way she just says, shut up, shut Dilton. Up, Dilton. Don't give a fuck. And and she is already just playing up the the event, the 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 gimmick, the the showmanship yeah. of the theater presentation by having ping pong balls with little like painted to be little eyeballs. And if you turn it in, you can get milk bud buddies. Yes. <laughs> you get buddies. buy one, get one free milk buds. Were they milk buds or milk buddies? <laughs> I don't know. I think they were just milk buds for the the clear rhyme. Okay. Um, she also has Kevin and Clay uh, working on a craft project. They are paper macheing some beach balls. And she says to them, yeah. now, boys, after you completely cover your balls. Now begins a string of ball jokes. <laughs> yes. And by ball jokes, I mean, they just have Veronica say the word balls. <laughs> and she's like, your balls. I'm going to reference the balls. Your over balls. And over. Give those balls to. <laughs> so they're paper macheing some, presumably, eyeballs. If you presume that, you're exactly correct. We'll see later. Yeah. Uh, so she goes to Archie and Reggie and are like, hey, you guys ready to perform? And Archie's like, we're not actors. And Reggie's like, what do you need us to do? <laughs> Art- Reggie's so game in this entire episode. He's becoming more of his old self once he decides to like be a person. Becoming his old self because his old self would have been like, no, not unless you like suck my dick. 
Uh, and this is more well, like... he's warming up to it. You gotta give him time. He's this still is acclimating. more like, I'm gonna do this because I think you're cute. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and so Archie's like, okay, yeah, what do you need us to do? I'll play along. Yeah. I guess. He goes with it because Reggie is, and I, I guess he still wants to encourage the new kid in his first steps toward joining Riverdale Society. <laughs> Betty's walking through the school hall, mm-hmm. and Dr. Werther's is like, hey, did you forget our appointment? And she's like, no, I'm just not coming today. I have an appointment with a book to read, because I'm studious. <laughs> she just leaves. She, do- she just so doesn't weird. go. Uh, so we're over at the Babylonium. Mm-hmm. Uh, people are redeeming their eyeballs for their milk buds. Mm-hmm. She's got other gimmicks going. Yeah, she, she has- does. She's going all out. She has, well, so Cheryl comes in and is being like, Crabby. Cheryl's not into this. I don't know why she's even there. She clearly doesn't want to be. And so Veronica gives her the tour of like, oh, well, be sure to take out a life insurance policy in case you die from fright. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. it's Dilton it's there. Dilton selling. Or don't worry, we have a nurse on duty in case you faint from fright. <laughs> and it's Midge. And Cheryl's like, Midge, I'm so disappointed in you. And these are real, like, theater gimmicks from the, the era. This is... So good, so good. Oh, I mean, just like some of the stuff they do with uh, Pep, aka EC Comics, uh, they're they're pulling that same sense of history into uh, Veronica's storyline now because uh, the Babylonium would probably be among the like first wave of independent theaters mm-hmm. after the the Paramount decree breaking up the studio system, the the pipeline. From conception to projection, where the studios owned theater chains. Yeah. That uh, uh, Supreme Court case ending that practice is just seven years old at this point. Yeah. Uh, So everyone is in the movies. They got their 3D glasses on. Mm -hmm. They're watching. Fog starts coming in under the seats. As, as, yeah, we we approach the climactic big scare, there's a hiss of fog uh, just running down the theater below them trailing along their ankles and then a huge curtain of fog in front of the screen you cannot see the movie during this movie so it's making them all like lean more forward (laughs) and that is when the giant eyeball monsters come out (laughs) also known as Archie and Reggie with giant paper mache balls on their heads. Yes, yes. And their arms are tentacles. They, they're big tentacle uh, uh, monsters with eyeball heads. It's so good. And it makes everyone scream, everyone but also screams. laugh. It makes Midge and Fangs just make the fuck out. Immedi- she climbs on top of him in his theater set as soon as they're done uh, 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 screaming. And there's a huge round of applause for, for just how fun a being at this theater is, and they start chanting their, their congratulations. Yes. <laughs> oh, it's so good. It's so good. Except there's this wonderful shot too of like the monsters through the 3D glasses. Uh-huh, uh-huh. It's so good. And they don't have to do stupid cheat things because there's two monsters. They just put them in the frame. Yeah. Properly, the way it would work. Oh. Uh, it's so good. It's absolutely perfect, except for the fact that The Crawling Eye came out in 1958 and not 1953 as described in dialogue. Yeah. God damn it. They don't expect people to look this shit up. So fucking close. It's moments like this that make me question if they actually listen to our show, but then there's so many other moments <laughs> that make me think they do. I mean, 
What have we learned? What have we learned in this season? The people who listened to Sex Archie in the writer's room ran out of Sex Archie and started listening to History Honeys. Oh. The Comics Code uh, episode is all over this season. We did an episode on the the uh, studio system that yeah. ended with the, the Paramount Decrees. Yeah. But they apparently didn't hire anyone to research the shit. <laughs> just, just look up the movie. Just look up the movie Google. you're talking about. Google! There must have been 1953 monster schlock. There must have been. And this did make me wonder, though, because, like, Veronica's, like, looking down from the projecting booth, like, all this, like, very proud. And I was like, is she going to invent the shadow cast? She might be inventing Rocky Horror before there is a movie to I Rocky Horror. I could totally see before the end of the season them being like, Rocky Horror! And then, like... Werther's being like, oh! <laughs> uh, which, speaking of, uh, Betty uh, goes into Dr. Werther, slamming down the Lolita book, and is all like, is this yours? And, and he's like, yeah! Which is a weird leap to make when it came out of his drawer of contraband. Is this your slingshot? I is mean, this your switchblade? I, I, in a set, I seized it, I guess. I'm never giving it back. <laughs> But yeah, he does in his his murmured defenses call it his, and she's like, "Aha, gotcha." He's like, "I read it to understand you. She's sex crazed, just like you are." Doctor Werther's doesn't know how to fucking read. No, <laughs> she's an abuse victim. So Betty does tear into him about how she is not sex crazed, and that he is the kissing cousin of uh, what's his name, Humbert Humbert. Yes. Uh, and it's uh, just like, you know, he was using her. It's inappropriate for you to be asking me the things you're asking me and putting me in this situation. Taking your little notes. Who knows what you're doing with those notes while, uh, when you go home. Uh, and basically, Betty accuses him of sex obsession uh, instead and walks right on out of there. And, like, I, I like her just, like, closing the door on this so-called therapy that's clearly serving no ther therapeutic purpose that's cool i don't like her coming down on the side of lolita is a book for the gratification of perverts no i'm very disappointed in this very very much like it really sours this for me <laughs> yeah you don't gotta like the book but you gotta understand what it's actually doing and what it's actually for please please <laughs> Yeah. It's unfortunate because, like, Jughead was trying to also get that point across to her. And she read the goddamn book! And then she read it. And She's it's a like, smart girl. You, I thought she was. It's like, you're you're almost there. You're almost there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But you're not quite there. No. <laughs> and I feel like they are, you know, and it could have been that they were trying to do that, but, like, the way they have the language in this scene, it does not come across that way. And, I mean... To bring up a point you made earlier, to say that about literature, challenging literature, in today's climate? Mm-hmm. When challenging literature is being challenged mm -hmm. in, in uh, uh, tr the ridiculously petty uh, uh, examples that, that you see practically every day now. But, like, fucking landmarks of the f novel form uh, should, should be held with respect and not don't don't give into that framing don't put it in the mouth of your hero in her big win 
Yeah. What are you doing? Fuck off. I feel like that was written by someone that hasn't, like, read the book. If you're trying to make the point that, like, if you come to the book with purient interest, you you may uh, uh, find what you seek in Humbert Humbert and just, like, Words is words. What you do with them is your business. The book isn't there for you, but you paid your, you know, 450 1950s prices. Like, but that's a really nuanced take that Betty does not angle for in this big put your foot down girl boss moment. Yeah. It's probably because it's a girl boss moment. <laughs> I fucking hate that term. I hate it so much. Wasn't- she could walk out of this room and fight song starts playing. <laughs> Anytime I think of your girl boss, I just think of the stupid ass metallic pink desk plate Mm. that my old boss that I hated got me and a coworker that Mm. said girl boss and I couldn't throw it away until after COVID because that was last she quit during COVID and it wasn't until I went back to my desk. So this is the manager you hated most of all of your managers, maybe in your entire life. Yes. Yes. She she gave me and a coworker girl boss. (laughs) Like, why the fuck do I have this? This is fucking stupid. There's nothing I hate more than the term girl boss. You're just a boss. (laughs) I don't. And you weren't. (laughs) I wasn't a boss. She was my boss. (laughs) So, so as the strains of Katy Perry's triumphant anthem uh, uh, fade out, uh, we're back in the Babylonium. Uh, uh, Veronica walks into her office past the line around the block. Yes. Okay, there it is. And as she finally gets to to her office, the eyeball boys are waiting for her, and they they want out. They are holding their giant paper mache eyeball heads, but wearing their street clothes. They're like, we we agreed to do this like once, but not like a continuing thing. And Ver- and Archie's like, we have like basketball and stuff. And Veronica thinks she's in a negotiation. She is she is really seeing herself as an entertainment mogul. And she doesn't understand that Archie's being entirely forthright. He just has other commitments and can't do this. She's like, but I understand. Like, <laughs> you guys want to negotiate a raise because I respect your moxie and balls. She keeps talking about their balls. And then they're like, Whenever no, no, she no. says balls, they look at the paper mache heads they're holding in their arm. And she's like, okay, I'll get Kevin and Clay to do the gag. You can leave your balls with them. <laughs> And Archie leaves. And so Archie just walks out because he wanted to walk out. He didn't want two dollars. And Reggie's like, uh, do you want to do you want to try for that date again? <laughs> I, w- I would like to date you. And she's like, uh, I wish I could. But like, it's so busy tonight. Maybe tomorrow. <laughs> this scene. I love this scene so much because it really is the most distillation of how different Veronica and Archie are. Like, she really thought she was in a, a high-power contract dispute, and Archie's just like, I got basketball, bye. I got basketball, and, like, I I have to have dinner with my mom. He has, he has no strategy in him. It's just like, like okay, I'm gonna go now. Uh, so we're at the Cooper household. Uh, mm-hmm. Betty comes home, and she's like, Betty, I just got off the phone with Dr. Werther's. He wants to end the sessions, and I told him he can't give up on you. He's gonna fix you. Yeah, Alice demands the the, the intrusive questions will continue until morale improves. Betty's like, what the fuck? Nothing's wrong with me. 
And so she's like, I'm going to call Dr. Werther's back and, and tell him he needs to continue with you. And and Betty goes off at her about like, no, put the phone down. Like, you just need to like, talk to me. Talk to me. I'm your daughter. About anything. Why don't we start with why you're so unhappy? And so Alice turns and says, unhappy? Me? A 1950s housewife? The most stereotypical uh, uh, description of a repressed and unhappy person? Yeah. And Betty also is like, you know, you once said you were afraid for me, but now it's like you're afraid of me. What gives, Mom? What's going on? What? Just explain. Just talk. And so she's trying. She's begging. She's like taking a, a conversational crowbar to the armor of Alice Cooper. And a conversation, a real heart-to-heart, is about to open. And then Al shows up. And he's like, what's going on here? Uh, and, uh, Betty tries to be like, you know, we're having a conversation, please leave. And he's like, this is my house and I heard about your conversation and you don't deserve your mother. She's the best. Now go to your room. And, uh, another fun bit of filming in this. I keep calling out, like, specific camera work in my notes this week, so I really want to, uh, say, hey, Alex Sanchez Patal, great job on this one. (laughs) But, but, uh, in this one, when it is... Uh, uh, our mother-daughter scene where it's Alice and, and Betty, they are in your typical shot-reverse shot, reverse shot uh, they, that you would expect. And then when Hal uh, uh, puts his foot down that we're not going to have this, he crosses the camera and breaks the space between them mm-hmm. uh, uh, in order to, to like physically and visually divide them to break that link. It's so good! It's good blocking! The show has good blocking it's this good time! Blocking. Uh, so it's the next morning, and Betty comes down into the kitchen, and Alice is there. The mood is cold, very cold. Oh, yes. And Betty's like, you know, I just I just want us to pay, figure out a path forward, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. not with Dr. Werther's, but, but us. Mm-hmm. And Alice is like, so cold. Yeah, yeah. Like, do you want to just, like, cut to, to the fallout? Cause... So, well, she's like, so Dr. Werther's isn't pressing charges. Uh, for you breaking into his office, and Betty's like, that's good. <laughs> uh, and Alice is like, you know, everything I've done is to help you. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. You don't want my help, so I'm stopping. You don't need a mother anymore, so you don't have one. I'm not your mother anymore. And then she walks out, and she says the best line they've ever given her, and you can make your own damn breakfast. Oh! <laughs> yeah. It's so good. It's so good. So over at the theater, uh, Reggie is waiting with flowers for Veronica. Mm-hmm. And he's talking to Kevin like, hey, you sure she knows I'm here? And he's like, yeah, she's just the phone's been going crazy. So yeah, she's been doing business calls all day. And Philip Roth playing himself, Philip Roth is back on the line with his golden telephone. And she finally, she finally lands a distro deal with Warner Brothers. Again. Again. She gets it back, starting with a proper uh, uh, print of East of Eden. Yes. He's very impressed by this whole 4D concept he's never heard of. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because, uh, we didn't mention it earlier. Oh, yeah. Uh, part of what uh, postponed the date last time is uh, Veronica had to immediately call Variety and get reporters talking about this incredible show. Yes. 
So by the time she gets done and she comes out for Reggie, Reggie has left. Kevin said that he got tired of waiting, but he left you those. And he left Mm -hmm. the flowers. Mm -hmm. Uh, So Veronica goes home, but her key won't work. And Smithers comes out. He has always looked like a Babylonian usher. Maybe this is why we like the the uniform so much. Because we love Smithers and it just, it transfers. So uh, he explains that the locks have been changed and that her parents no longer uh, think she needs or deserves support. And thus she has been kicked out. I, she's such an entertainment mogul. It's, it's even in the trades. It's not real until it's in the trades. Uh, so uh, she heads back to the Babylonium and turns her office into a little makeshift bed. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. she looks, though, at the poster of the crawling thing. I I crawling I is that what it's called? Yes. Okay. From 1958, yeah. famously. Well, I forgot what it was called, but <laughs> but she looks at it very proudly. Yeah, very yeah. like ah, this is this is okay though. Like this I'm is, making my way. This is not defeat. This is opportunity. This is rise and grind. Set. She never leaves the office 24 seven, baby. She does not have the same 24 hours in a day everyone else does. Work from home life. Yeah. She, she works a 40-hour day. She's working three days before you even get a whole week. Uh, and so she crawls into bed, very pleased with herself. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, meanwhile, over at Pops, uh, Jughead has finished reading Just the finished last reading book. The entire bibliography, at least the published stuff. Maybe he'll posthumously publish uh, the Jupiter, Jupiter journals for him. Uh, so Prediction, he's going to posthumously publish the Jupiter journals. Yeah. So uh, Pops comes over and he's like, hey, what can I get you for this next round? And Jughead's like, just the check. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he may not be done grieving, but he's finished wallowing. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so he, he's ready to to move on. Mm-hmm, he, mm-hmm. He's, you know, seen a lot of themes in the books he's read about time passing and seasons changing and Sunrise, sunset. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so... You know how Ray Bradbury wrote Fiddler on the Roof? <laughs> Not a lot of people know that. So he he's gonna move on, because that's what Brad would want. Uh, and so he's, like, starting to collect up all his things when we see the, the cop car lights outside mm-hmm, in the parking lot through mm-hmm. the windows. And Sheriff Keller comes in, and he's like, Jughead, we're still working the case, and we're gonna need your help if we're gonna solve it. Why is there a case? He still calls it a suicide when he's, like, asking Jughead for help. There's no case! And Jughead's voiceover says, so much for moving on. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then, one last cool visual, the lights in the diner go out, and Jughead is just lit by the flashing red lamps yeah. of the sheriff's car. Yeah, it's good. Pop, you gotta pay your electric bill. Pop, please. Well, Jughead has to pay for his milkshakes. <laughs> How many did he have? It's been four days. And that that is our cliffhanger ending of of a sort, uh, more of a transitional ending, I guess. So, darling, what did you think of chapter one hundred twenty six, Betty and Veronica double digest? It was a lot more fun to talk about than watch. <laughs> I don't know about that. Not like extreme, but like last week we not, were talking yeah, about that. Not as much as it's tr- as that was true last week. Yeah, yeah. But I yeah. was as I was not watching as big it, a difference. I was kind of like, this is gonna be fun to talk about, but it's just kind of <laughs> meh. <laughs> no, I like I like this one a lot. I like uh, uh, there there are moments of both of these stories 
that really, really yeah. illustrate these characters and what I like about them. Uh, particularly, like, this is, of all of Veronica's many businesses she's run, this is already one of my favorites, because she's yeah. having so much fun with it. Well, and it's, like, the most appropriate for yeah. a teenager. Yeah, teenagers <laughs> love the movies. Um, No, there's, like, this one's not as bad as the other ones. Or, like, last week. Uh, and it had great moments. Like, I love the stuff with, like, the stuff in the theater, the 40 thing, like, the whole mm-hmm, eyeball mm-hmm. thing. And there are things I liked, but it was also, like, again, I kind of just miss, like, people interacting with each other. Yeah, yeah. I, and I, I just, really I ab- wish someone would have actually, like, fucking talked to Jughead about what he's going through. Hey, two people walked up to him and asked him for advice on their shit. And like So we did we did have a bridge between our two parallel chapters. Yeah. So Jughead. Yeah. And I appreciate Jughead filling that role. It would be nice if he had friends. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think that might be it. I mean, this episode's focused on Betty and Veronica. So you're gonna get that like segmentation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I think it's just because it's been so much this time that it's just kinda like, oh, I want more. I want mm-hmm. more interacting. I want more. I like when it's everyone involved and we're seeing everyone doing a thing right, and, and right. stories cross over more. And part of uh, that touches on why I think that Veronica had the stronger of the two stories because... Others th- were involved. Because there was a fun way to make a, a little spotlight for Dilton. You never see yeah. that. A fun Midge moment. Yeah. The, the Archie and Reggie stuff. Yeah. Really good. While Betty is pretty much just a, a two-hander. Well, yeah. three-hander. Betty, Alice, and, and Werther's. Well, and I kind of feel like, okay, so not only is no one talking to Jughead. I mean, Betty did for a hot sec. But, like, no one cares about what's going on with him. I'm like... Is no one wondering why Betty's having these really weird, like, private conversations with Dr. Werther's and, like, <laughs> No, Veronica's... because every... Betty has done public nudity twice and everyone knows it. No but one's wondering. I feel everyone like knows. there should have been a thing, though, where, like, Betty's talking about it to Veronica and Veronica's like, that's fucked up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't think you if, should be talking to him. If they had a bestie moment uh, right? on her path, that would have been really nice. Yeah. Oh, they, they could have done a thing where, like, in that scene, it transitioned between their two stories and they slapped one of their names on the screen. Yeah. That would have been a lot of fun. It would have actually, even though it wouldn't have gone into the Betty Veronica play, but like if it would have been Tony actually, and Tony's mm. like, that is not what a school counselor is supposed to do. Oh, that's just like a, and fun. Yeah, a fun little future uh-huh. flash. Yeah. Tony's not in this one. No. If she is, she's just like in the background in the crowd shot. I don't shots. think she was in this one at all. She doesn't talk. I know that for sure. Well, and there's no close-up of her. I don't think she was in it. Yeah, yeah. You wouldn't use Tony and not have her in a featured well, reaction shot. At and least. well, and I say she, I think don't think she was in it because there was a lot of Cheryl. Mm-hmm. And even though they were, you know, they're like back together, but they're having to be, you know, on the download. But you still would have seen them together. I feel like right, and right. They were Tony was never with Cheryl. Yeah. Cheryl was there with, like, seeing the movie with another friend type thing. With with the nameless vixens. <laughs> yeah. So that's why I'm like, I don't think Tony was in this episode at all. I I will uh, uh, really enjoy this episode um, retrospectively if this is sort of a close on super horny Betty. Mm. Because, like, having her reach that moment of realizing what she really wants and, and that's manifesting as uh, uh, unstoppable sexual urges. Yeah. And like, okay, she still wants physical uh, affection and gratification, but we can ease off the gas of having her like salivating over everyone in the school. Yeah. 
<laughs> uh, uh, then that will make this a, a stronger episode. But the Veronica half, I really just enjoy top to bottom. Yeah, I think I... In- I mean, again, I think I enjoy it more now that we've talked about it than I did, like, through watching some of it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But... What's yeah. up with that Operation game? <laughs> What's going on when there? When was Operation created? Oh, God, no! <laughs> the game's prototype was invented in 1964! God damn it! By University of Illinois industrial design student John Spinello. <laughs> Initially produced by Milton Bradley in 1965. (laughs) Operation is currently produced by Hasbro. (laughs) God damn it, Tabitha, what did you do? Tabitha, you fucked things up so bad. What if, what if, what if that, though, is like, okay, will this make you feel better? That is a memory from the future. <gasps> yes! Now that would really uh, uh, retroactively shoot this episode up in the rankings. Right? Right? Another little thing breaking through. Look, she just wants Archie to give her a Charlie horse. <laughs> uh, anyhow, I think we've discussed our reactions to chapter 126, so let us look beyond to the future. Darling, do you have any predictions? Posthumous publishing. Uh... I mean, Shadowcast. Shadowcast. Inventing the Shadowcast. Yeah. I am still going back on our, like, prediction of a reverse half-fun home. One of the Mm -hmm. Cooper parents is gay. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. One of them is. I agree with this. We were discussing this a little bit earlier, and, like, like, is it Hal? And you were like, oh, well, he had, like, the magazines. I'm like, I think those magazines were, uh, hey, look at these ladies. You're supposed to like them. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I own these because these are a thing I'm supposed to have. Right. Yeah. Because, I mean, there's so much talk about what uh, Alice sacrificed. What is Alice's sacrifice? What is she, what is she doing? What did she give up to be the proper housewife? F.P. Jones. F.P. Jones. They could go back to that, you know. We're running out of runway and we need, we need to, (laughs) to land that plane. Come on, come on. I mean, I do think, like, a possibility is what we were talking about with, um, like, Clay making a movie and them Mm -hmm, showing mm -hmm, it. mm -hmm. And, like, I think what it could be, though, is whatever Veronica ends up doing or showing at the Babylonium, like, she will keep pushing while she's getting stuff like East of Eden. She's going to get even more, though, of these, like, B-movies or, like, something made by Clay, though, that, like, pushes the boundaries. Right, and right. And then Dr. Werther's or whoever's mm-hmm, going to come for her. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's like, oh, this is perverted as well, just like right. comic books. Clay- Which is why I think a Rocky Horror Shadowcast thing doesn't matter when it was made. They're going to, like, pull something out like that and be like, oh, the scandal. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The Hayes Code is still in effect, but it is rapidly weakening. Especially with the rise in independent movie houses. Yeah. Uh, uh, and the the fall of the studio system mm-hmm. so it's it's time for this stuff to start breaking through yeah 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 yeah. we're still 12 years away from bonnie and clyde right like that that's the the real absolute final end of of the code if you if you go by the way i tell the story at least <laughs> but so so yeah there's there's room to put our story in that path yeah yeah it doesn't matter that it's that far away <laughs> nothing fucking matters <laughs> We have Operation. (laughs) 
Ethel's just gonna rot in the sisters. Of yeah, Pine we're Mercy done. We're, we're, we're not seeing again. Ethel again. No, nope, we're just done with that. We got a better chance of seeing her show up in in Stranger Things again than seeing her in Riverdale. Yep. I don't know. Maybe she shows up every season, and I just made a really bad joke because we only watched the first season of that. I don't know. One, I have no fucking idea. <laughs> I don't really care. Season one was fun, but like, not. I don't. I don't care. Okay. Well, we can should talk about what we do now. And next week's episode, chapter 127, is called American Graffiti, named for yet another bit of 1950s nostalgia from the first wave of 1950s nostalgia in the 70s. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you know, the... the American the, Graffiti movie. Yeah, the, the big debut of George Lucas himself, uh, making movies about things, uh, things he really likes, uh, putting Harrison Ford in a loud car. Harrison Ford was in that? I forgot. Yes. I saw it once, forever ago. <laughs> George Lucas is probably the man who became wealthiest out of putting Harrison Ford in a noisy car. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so what we know, this is going to be focused on uh, Jughead uh, trying to help solve the, I guess it's not suicide, though they still think it's suicide, Crime. The unnamed mystery. The mystery as it currently stands. What's mysterious about it in the sheriff's eyes, we'll find out within the first two minutes of next week. Yeah, because he, he's talking to Tabitha like, why would he take his own life? And Tabitha's like, maybe he didn't. Mm-hmm. And uh, Keller's like, well, how well did you know him? And, and Jughead's reading like, big, thick files full of, of clippings and, and things. And we see shots of the milkman. The multicolor milkman. I do love the way he, he looks yeah. with like multiple exposures. Each exposure has a different color tint. Yeah. It's fun. It's good. It's good. Maybe I'll be mentioning Kevin Sullivan a lot next week, the way I am Alex Sanjiv Patal this week. Yeah. Pillai. I gotta get way closer. Alex Sanjiv Pillai this week. I mean, that's that's a hard one to see from far away. Yeah, it's all the L's and the I could be an L. It's not. It's I. Um, so- sorry, Al. So, uh, I guess that's it for us today. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This week, some stuff I was in you can check out. Uh, first, I appeared on the latest episode of The Curiosity Project. That is a podcast where uh, Tess, the interviewer slash host, asks the same questions to all of her guests. It, it got pretty like personal for a while, but uh, if, if you want to know some stuff that like I think about a lot but don't necessarily talk about a lot, uh, I talk about this show a bit. I talk about how much I love you so much, dear. Oh. That's like the first question. Oh, I I missed that part. I yeah. only overheard part of Aww. that recording. <laughs> That's right. I think you came home halfway through it. Yeah, I did. I forgot you were doing a thing, I think. And I was like, puppy. So that's why you don't know anything about how much of the first Aww. question was me talking about how much I love Aww, you. That's so sweet. <laughs> what was the question? It was something like, uh, what are three things you value? Aw. You value me? Num- first one. Aww. I had to really think about two and three, but number oh, one was easy. Monkey. No spoilies. She better have been in there. <laughs> Otherwise, she's going to be insulted. I'm going to be insulted for her. I talked about Moki before there even were questions. Uh, also, uh, uh, I think I mentioned Renegade Scum uh, uh, coming soon to Six Feet Under. Have I? Uh, Maybe. In case I haven't, Six Feet Under is gearing back up to produce a miniseries that is... St- uh, Star Wars our way. Our wars, I guess. Our wars. 
We're building our own Star War in Galactic 2nd Edition using uh, the Scum and Villainy uh, expansion, which are available together along with other materials in a bundle that's going to last until the rest of the month. So just another couple days uh, you can check out. Uh, episode Zero, where we talk about what Star Wars uh, uh, is to us, what we want it to be in this miniseries, and make our characters, is now live. You can find that anywhere you find podcasts. It's called Six Feet Under, S-I-X-F-E-A-T-S-U-N-D-E-R. And just today, on the day of recording, I spent the morning reactivating our Patreon because th- that is a show that works better with a budget. I want to... I wanna, uh, have it pay for hosting, obviously. Uh, I want to commission artists to draw our six fantastic Star Wars characters. My guy is, uh, um, okay, I would say the name of his alien species, but you would not recognize it. Uh, do you, uh, think back to the prequels. Okay. Uh, so when they're in the Senate, the Chancellor of the Senate is on his little plinth in the middle, mm-hmm. and there's a blue guy with big tall horns and a big stick that stands behind him and next to him. Sure. My guy is that guy's species. He's a big blue guy with big old horns. Let me go Google Star Wars. Big blue guy with big horns. Just search. Unless you want to search that to make a point, I, I can give you the name of the guy. His name is uh, Masamata. Yeah, that's him. I'm good. So Googling Star Wars, big blue guy with horns works. Yeah, yeah. So uh, he Iser Mun is his name, and he's a Chagrian which is the name of this species. He's cool. I like him a lot. And there's five other characters that I like a lot. One Uh is a battle droid that has rebuilt itself over and over uh, across the years. They go by the nickname Roger, of course. Roger. Uh, That's enough plugging the uh, other stuff I've been in. I've, but if you want to keep up on all sorts of announcements, including those, you can follow us on Twitter at sex underscore Archie. Uh, you can leave us a rating and review wherever you listen to us. Please, please. You uh, can also tell your friends. Yes. Yeah, we are marching toward the inevitable conclusion of this television program. So we are, uh, we are running out of time to, to meet new people and find new people. And I... I've been hearing about people listening to the back catalog. Yes. There, uh, someone who's been tweeting at us. I can't remember... A- on top of my head right now. Their hand, though. But they're on, but like, they, they were episode about 50? Their episode 58, which is specifically the start of season four. Yeah. Which means the funeral episode for Luke Perry. Aww. When this show is, is all said and done, Luke Perry will have been in 40% of it. There will be more after that point than before. Yeah. We're already at that point. We're, we're already past 118, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, so bring, tell your friends, bring them on. It's not too late. There's plenty of time. Mm-hmm, they don't need mm-hmm. to know anything about yeah. what's happened before because it doesn't matter at this point. <laughs> they undid it. It doesn't even matter <laughs> when board games came out or movies. No, it does not matter. So just join us for this ride. Who knows what's next? <laughs> so with that. I'm Elena. I'm Grant. And from us here at Sex Archie. Shut up, Dilton. Shut up, Dilton.